This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. Today, I have with me Dion Lomax. She is the Managing Director and our Trust and Trade Regulations at Affiliated Monitors. We discuss issues relating to M&A work coming out of the business reopening in Q3 and 4 and what the compliance practitioner needs to do around antitrust compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Diane Lomax. She is Managing Director of Antitrust and Trade Regulation at Affiliated Monitor. So, Diane, first of all, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, thank you, Tom. I'm, I'm so I'm very happy to be here. Could you uh, give us a, a little bit about uh, your role with uh, AMI? Sure. I recently joined AMI after having spent a long time in private practice. I was a partner at two law firms focusing solely on antitrust, mainly in the M&A regulatory space. And I decided to um, give up private practice and became a professor and ran into my old buddy, Jesse Kaplan, who I used to work with at the DOJ. And so recently joined AMI as the Managing Director for Antitrust and Trade Regulation. And, And in this capacity, I'm really spearheading our efforts to help companies conduct proactive assessments of their corporate and their antitrust compliance programs and their related ethical cultures. And so it also includes monitoring conditions that are imposed on companies and antitrust settlements with federal and or state antitrust authorities. One of the things that I really wanted to visit with you about, because I think it's flying under the radar, is uh, the issues around not only antitrust, but also M&A, which I think are going to explode starting in Q3 and Q4 and into the next couple of years. And that's because of the economic dislocation. And so, as you know, I'm in Houston and we're already seeing energy companies lining up to file bankruptcies. We have many companies that are uh, uh, downsizing dramatically long-winded way of saying there's going to be a lot of distressed assets out there. So I was wondering if, from that perspective, what are some of the key questions that you are getting from clients about M&A work, antitrust regulation, and how to to meet the requirements of the uh, new antitrust divisions, uh, corporate compliance evaluations that are moving forward? Um, So, first and foremost, I I would just say as an independent monitor, we don't really have clients in the way that, say, law firms have clients or the the type of clients I used to have. So, I'll I'll respond by offering a perspective on um, three main issues, I think, that are raised by your question. The first issue is how do antitrust compliance issues change if there is an increase in consolidation? And Let's look at COVID-19 for, you know, obviously COVID-19 is having an impact across a host of industries, but in particular the healthcare industry, um, as well as others. Um, and so given this impact, um, 
you know, obviously some industry participants, you know, they do expect that there's going to be consolidation. I absolutely agree with you. Um, But I think that what companies need to understand is that just because there's this, you know, economic downturn and this, you know, necessity to consolidate, it doesn't mean that the antitrust laws are on pause. (laughs) And so even amidst the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic, you know, how do the antitrust compliance issues change? Well, you know, unfortunately for, for some folks, it really doesn't. The federal antitrust authorities, which includes the Department of Justice and Antitrust Division and the Federal Trade Commission Bureau of Competition, have both stated that they will continue to closely scrutinize proposed mergers, whether that be among healthcare providers or, or other industry uh, participants. Um, and, and they basically have said, it, said that they note that, you know, all of the competitive concerns that they would have had before the pandemic and its economic effects, they are still going to have despite the complications presented by the pandemic. Um, the other thing I'll mention is that there are actually certain state attorneys general that have signaled that further consolidation, particularly on the healthcare side, will be heavily scrutinized. Um, the California, you may have heard about this, but the California Attorney General recently asked its state legislature to essentially expand its authority over healthcare mergers to include for-profit companies. Um, and this is huge because if, if this if this statute passes, the new law would essentially require health systems and private equity groups and hedge funds to essentially get consent from the California Attorney General's office before consummating their transactions. Right now, California AG, is uh, that's only required for nonprofit entities. So yesterday, uh, actually, uh, you led a, I thought, great webinar on the antitrust division's Evaluation of Antitrust Compliance Programs, which was released in the summer of 2019. So I was wondering if maybe we could take off from that and uh, talk about some of the key things that you think compliance officers need to be considering as we uh, move into the reopening phase and indeed into the fall, really from that document's perspective. What are sort of you seeing or what might your thoughts be? Uh, I think that compliance officers need to realize that when they either, whether it's seeking to work with a rival in connection with, you know, resolving issues with the pandemic or partnering with a rival on certain joint ventures or what have you, or even merging as a result of some of the um, economic issues that that have resulted, I think that they need to keep in mind that the authorities are still really um, paying close attention to how they work with their competitors. So, for example, if you're going to work with a rival um, short of a merger, you need to make sure that your your that your purpose for doing it has a pro-competitive um, aspect to it, that you're not just you know using it to collude and price fix or what have you. You need to make sure that Uh, There are certain perhaps efficiencies related to any joint venture or other collaboration that, that, you know, the company wants to engage in with rivals in the industry. I also think 
that, you know, it's important to understand that even though the antitrust laws prohibit certain things, it, they, they, they're still flexible in that it, it does allow companies to share technical know-how, for example, to collaborate on research and development. So, you know, I don't want compliance officers to think that they, they you know, they, they, there's a big red X on anything they want to do collaboratively. I just think that they need to be careful, obviously consult with their, either their in-house counsel or their outside antitrust counsel before embarking on certain things and, and understand some of the rules of the road when you do talk with um, a competitor, you know, making sure you steer clear of, you know, price fixing and market allocation and those types of things. A couple of the key themes I got from the antitrust division's evaluation document were that compliance officers need to both ass- look at, assess the data, and that that data needs to be documented within an overall uh well, what I would call a well-thought-out plan leading right. to documenting your decision-making. Would that hold true for even at this point in time? No, yeah, absolutely. Because what the agencies are going to look towards, if they're investigating you, they're looking to see what is going to, what is the anti-competitive effect of the behavior that you're engaging or the conduct that they're investigating. And so I think it behooves um, in anyone who's working with a competitor in any way, shape, or form to make sure you, you know, if you're going to have a meeting, have an agenda where you document what the purpose of the meeting is. Here are all the, the, the items that we plan to discuss. Don't veer away from that agenda. If you do, you know, make sure that you still stick within the guidelines that the agency recommends. And not only that, I think that, you know, contemporary, they really look at contemporaneous documents to see what the true intent and purpose of an activity is. Oftentimes, when you look at antitrust complaints, uh, the agencies, both agencies are notorious, even state AGs, they are notorious for quoting contemporaneous documents to basically show, hey, you know, the 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 the, the uh, party said that they were doing it for this pro-competitive reason, but this email or this document you know, here suggests otherwise. So I would recommend agendas. I would recommend any meetings, particularly, you know, at the board level, closely document the purpose for any type of collaboration or arrangement in order to, um, you know, it's not a complete get out of jail free card, but it will certainly help you um, in terms of your own credibility before the agency. The, um, uh, the other thing was to utilize once again, I, I really love the way you phrase that. Uh, I would say a business justification and tie your actions to that business justification throughout the process. The uh, communication, one of the things that struck me yesterday uh, in the webinar was the importance of training. And I was wondering if you could give a few words about uh, the not only the importance of training, but how a compliance practitioner might think about delivering antitrust training either to targeted or high-risk individuals or just to, uh, to raise awareness within an organization? Absolutely. I think that 
Um, you you want to make sure you have training from you know all aspects of the business. But first and foremost, you really do want to target that training for those areas of the business that have the highest likelihood of raising antitrust issues. So for example, if you have a sales force that is out there and they, they're parts of tra- you know, the trade associations and things of that nature, or even some of your VPs or middle, you know, mid- mid-level managers who often frequently go to conferences and participate in trade associations or other types of industry meetings, I think you want to make sure and target that group of individuals first because that's kind of where your low-hanging fruit is going to be in terms of potential to have some issues, whether it be, you know, sharing competitively sensitive information, um, et cetera. So I think starting at that level, but also not forgetting that human resource folk need to be aware of the antitrust laws. That's, that's a newer area that in particular the DOJ has been focusing on because of this issue of no poach agreements that some companies have begun to enter into, you know, hey, we're going to just agree not to hire each other's employees. And so I would say it needs to be a very targeted approach. It needs to be not only um, I, remote. I think what, what has worked for me in the past when I represented clients is go to go on site, sit with, you know, the people who deal with pricing and have a roundtable discussion about how they do their job. And here's some of the, you know, things you need to be steer clear of. Um, I think that, you know, clients really like that hands-on approach. They, they want to make sure and know that you understand, you know, um, their business and that you're not just there to be a naysayer, but you're there to help them achieve their goals, but in a way that also protects them in the company, right? Because let's not forget, antitrust violations can um, hurt a company, but certain individuals, if, especially if it's a criminal prosecution, can go to jail. And so that that would be that would be my thought. Do it in person, but also do it remote. You know, do some reminders remotely. Um, shoot them. One of the things I used to like to do is after I would develop an antitrust compliance program for a client and delivered it either in person or remotely, depending on what worked, I would um, send them quick little just tips and reminders, like maybe every six months, just a little, here's the top 10 things you need to be thinking about right now from an antitrust compliance perspective, just so that they always keep it top of mind. So one question I've always had is the following. I lived um, in Dubai when I worked for Halliburton. And my observation was that if you were an American living in Dubai, you were probably in the energy industry. And uh, mm-hmm. there were lots of informal get-togethers with the Americans. It could be a barbecue with our families. It could be playing golf. I was a cyclist, so I joined a cycling club. And, of course, the Americans tended to segregate. Uh, tended to segregate together or at least hang out together. And we were all in energy. And I've always wondered, are those, and of course, not everyone talked. And I've always wondered, are those sorts of informal groups, are those seen as high risk as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I think that com- chief compliance officers need to make sure that they are always encouraging those who attend those types of things, keep top of mind what those rules of the road are. You know, yes, if you go to these informal, of course, you're not going to have an agenda, right? So that rule, that, that, that guidance doesn't work. But, you know, you, you just say, hey, 
okay to have a conversation, but once you start veering into, well, you know, this industry, you know, here's a problem and, you know, with our margins in this industry, maybe we can do something about that. That's when you want to, you know, walk away. And what I often say is, you know, try to make some type of a noisy exit where somebody will remember that you left that discussion. So they can say, oh, you know, well, Dion, you know, she just spilled bread punch all over me and said, hey, I can't have this discussion with you. She threw a plate in the air and no, I'm being a little bit facetious, but um, but you, you, you see where I'm going with that. You want to, because if anything ever comes to that, you want, if there were, you know, five people in a circle, you want someone each and every one of those people to remember, oh, this, this party from this company said they, you know, that this was wrong and they left the discussion. Dion, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted uh, to go for more information on either yourself or AMI, where can they go? They can go to the AMI website and uh, affiliatedmonitors.com. But the, the other thing that I would say is that you should also consider the DOJ and the FTC website, which will have additional guidance, uh, particularly as it relates to COVID-19 and, and some guidance from the agencies in terms of working with um, any rivals. Dion, this has been a fascinating uh, a visit. As we move into Q3 and 4, I hope I can perhaps call upon you again to uh, see what the situation might be and uh, any changes or additional advice you might have. That sounds great. Would love to. Thanks so much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This podcast posts three times a week at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. That's 10 a.m. Central Time. I hope you will check out our episodes as we post during this health crisis and economic dislocation. This month on The Compliance Life, I'm featuring Ryan Robelet, who talks about his journey to the CCO chair. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.